This week on the Studio Live Today podcast, we're talking about YouTube. Everything you've wanted to know about YouTube, but we're afraid to ask. Yes, it's our YouTube 101. We're going to look at the past. How did we get here? What is the history of YouTube? The present, all the things you can do, because there's so much in there now. And the future. What does the future of YouTube and video sharing in general look like? I'm going to also answer any questions, because we do have folks here live. So if you've got any questions and you are watching this recording live, you can leave your questions. If you aren't watching live, don't stress. You can always reach out to me. All of the ways to contact me, in fact, are over at studiolivetoday.com. Yeah, if you just go to studiolivetoday.com, you can check out the podcast, the very thing you're listening to. You can jump into the YouTube channel. You can see the latest live shows. You can check out the gear guide, join the Facebook group, join the Discord server. All of that goodness is there. It's your one-stop shop for home recording. Studiolivetoday.com. Com. What we usually do at the start of the show here is tell you a little bit about what's been going on around Studio Live today. I've been dabbling in, speaking of YouTube, some YouTube shorts. So there's been a couple of short videos in the last week. I looked at how, how to use two microphones in GarageBand Mac. It was harder than I thought it would be. I'd never done it before, two mics at the same time. So I did a really quick short video that was more of just me complaining <laughs> than anything else. And we looked at iOS 16.4. Should you upgrade or should you stay on your current version? My advice is always this. Unless you are working in the middle of a project, if it's an update that has security or new features, go ahead and update. If you're in the middle of an important project, my recommendation has always been and always will be to stay on that. Unless there is a critical zero-day security flaw, I say stick to the current version that you're on until you finish that project. And that's exactly what I did because I've just finished a project. I've just finished my brand new song called 1%. So uh, if you've been around the channel, you would have seen me doing that. So I made sure I finished that one, had that one in the can, had a backup copy of it, and then I updated my iOS, in fact, my iPad OS to 16.4. That's the last week. Uh, I'll tell you what's coming up next week uh, or on this week on Studio Live today at the end of the show. But let's dive in and talk YouTube. So what is YouTube? For those, if you've been living under a rock, what actually is the platform YouTube. It is a video sharing platform. So it enables you to upload videos and then it enables a viewer to watch those videos. And you can do it either via a live stream, which is what I'm doing right now for this podcast and this live recording, or you can do it via a pre-recorded video and you can share that with the world. There are short videos, there's long videos, there's portrait videos, there's landscape videos. We'll talk about all that as we go through. But the way that I break down YouTube is that it's more, it, because it's a service, as opposed to a product, I think of it more of a service, and there are three key groups that are served by this. There are the viewers, because without you, there is no YouTube, so you are viewing a YouTube video. There are the creators. They are creating the YouTube videos. Now, in the early days, that's all there was, and the platform, whereas in more modern times, there is a third group, and they are the advertisers. So folks who are advertising on YouTube are actually making creators able to monetize their videos. And we'll talk about monetization a little bit later as well. So that's the way I break down YouTube is that it is, it's the coming together of creators, 
creating content. It's the viewers who are viewing and consuming content, and it's the advertisers who are annoying the viewers, but also funding the creators. Let's be honest here, because you know what, ads ads aren't always the funnest. But hey, support your local creators, folks. Watch an ad or two. Don't don't always skip. Sometimes you can skip. It's fine. So let's talk about the past, the early days of YouTube. So the year, the year is two thousand and five, and three young lads are uh, working at a little place called PayPal. And they have a pretty successful thing with PayPal, working with a guy called Elon Musk, something like that. Anyway, uh, anyway, he buggered off. He actually got kicked out of PayPal. That's a whole story for another podcast. So they left PayPal as well, and they wanted to start something new. And they thought, what do we do? We're young college graduate kids. What should we do? I know. Why don't we create a dating website? Yeah, let's create a dating website. And you know what we'll call it? We'll call it TuneIn Hookup can't make this stuff up folks that's the actual name of the the original youtube was called tune in hook up and it enabled folks to actually go on there and share like a dating video yeah like the you know the, you said your videotapes in the 80s and people like hi my name's pete and i enjoy volleyball and walks on the beach so that's what they went for uh was a massive failure uh, no one really decided that they wanted that in fact they even tried to put ads on craigslist to get uh, lovely ladies to put their profiles on there to attract the nerdy dudes didn't work didn't didn't come together however what they did realize is in their testing they were just throwing up random videos and uh, and one one of the, the creators just threw up my day at the zoo and just put like an eight second video of him looking at some elephants and then the others were like ah oh, Maybe this is what it is. Maybe it's just like a digital repository where we can share little videos. Because at that point in time, you've got to remember, for those that were with me, who was with me in the old dial-up days, the BBS days, the early internet days, you couldn't really share online video. There was things like real media and real player, but if you're on a dial-up connection, to download and watch maybe a two-minute video, what were we talking, you know, 30 minutes, an hour? It really wasn't a, a possible thing. So an online platform where you could actually click and stream a video was kind of unheard of. It was it was very early days for this stuff. So uh, from there, things started to change. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things. And and you know what? I'm not going to go into the full history of YouTube because there's videos on YouTube about the history of YouTube. Type your history of YouTube into YouTube, and you're going to get a whole lot more of this information. But I just wanted to give you the basics of it. Uh, viral videos started to come about. So the first video that had a million views was actually a Nike ad with uh, Ronald. Was it Ronaldinho? I don't. I'm not a big football fan. But a Brazilian soccer player doing some soccer tricks, and it was a Nike ad. <laughs> that was the first million view video on YouTube. Something about a year later, though, something really important happened, and that was that YouTube were purchased. And I think we know the story from here, but YouTube were purchased by a little company that goes by the name of Google. Yeah, so Google purchased YouTube for over a billion dollars. I forget the exact amount, and I should have put it in my notes. So over a billion dollars, Google purchased YouTube, and the rest is history. We will talk about what they've done from there, but there's a whole lot that's gone on from there. Uh, live streaming was added uh, as well. Ads came about, so they added advertising in 2009, and that's brought us to where we are here now, where YouTube has grown from a place to share your 30-second cat videos to a place where professionals are working in studios with giant teams producing TV quality content. So it has changed a lot over time. What does all of that mean for you? So that's a great history lesson, Johns. Thanks for that. But what does it mean for you as a creator and sharing your content on YouTube? Well, it means that 
YouTube, like a lot of the other platforms, is a place where you can get eyeballs. Now, are we in the glory days of YouTube where it's as easy as just putting your music video up there and a million people are suddenly going to watch it? No, there's more competition both at a platform level, so there's more platforms, and there's more creators. So it has become harder to actually get that leverage and to get people to actually watch your videos. But the good news is it's harder to get them to watch, but it's easier to create and share because we have a lot of really cool features that have been added to YouTube. And that's what we want to talk about now. We'll have a quick beverage and then we'll uh, crack on with the present of YouTube. <coughs> so where are we now? Well, there's a lot going on in YouTube and in no particular order, I've got a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about and take you through here that are going to help you with your creating because that's what we're here for. Yeah. The first thing I get asked about, I'm going to start at the end, basically, because this is where a lot of folks are working towards, and that is monetization. Yes, in 2007, YouTube started the YouTube Partner Program. Now, originally, they only offered it to creators who actually already had a lot of subscribers and a lot of views. Now, in those days, a lot, we were only talking maybe 100,000 subscribers and maybe only a million views in total, because there weren't that many channels, and they weren't that many channels getting a lot of views. But the, the channels at the early days were offered the YouTube Partner Program. They then opened it up to everyone in about 2009, and that's when I actually joined. I didn't have this channel. I didn't have Studio Live today, but I had my own personal channel, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll try this. Uh, so I joined the YouTube Partner Program, and I think uh, in total, in about three years of being on that before I started Studio Live today, I may have made $4. I don't think I actually reached the threshold where you could withdraw the money <laughs> because I wasn't getting a lot of video views. They then closed the gate to all but those who had 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 watch hours. So that's where it was in 2018, and that's where it is now. So if you're a YouTube creator, you need 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time in a 12-month period. It's exactly as it kind of sounds there. It means your overall subscriber count needs to be 1,000 or more. And in a 12-month period, so if you started today, we're here in March of 2023, by March of 2024, you need to have had 4,000 hours of watch time, which means it doesn't matter how many people are watching, but it's how long they've been watching for. And that's kind of been the theme with YouTube is they've gone away from the views as the metric to the watch time. Why is that? Because it doesn't really matter how many people, how many views are received. It's how long YouTube can keep people on the platform, which is how long, uh, how many ads they can serve to people, and therefore how much revenue they can make. And if that all sounds a bit capitalist and a bit greedy, well, that's the society we live in, I'm afraid. And uh, it's meant that people like me. On the plus side, it's meant that creators like myself can make a, a full-time income be being a YouTuber, as much as I hate the word YouTuber. The only word worse than YouTuber is influencer. So if you're a creator out there and you're making your own music videos and you're sharing stuff, you're doing live streaming, and you want to make some money on the side, monetization is an option. But to join the YouTube Partner Program, you do need those 1,000 subscribers and those 4,000 hours of watch time. Uh, YouTube Studio is something that you should be familiar with. If you are a YouTuber or if you're creating in YouTube, you'll already know about this. But YouTube Studio was originally launched. There was the classic version that all of us loved. YouTube then put out the beta, the beta version, which everyone hated. And then they made us all switch to it. Look, I'm okay with it now. I've made my peace with the YouTube Studio and the, the newer version. And along with the YouTube Studio came things like YouTube Analytics, 
so everyone could obsess about exactly how many people were watching and how many subscribers and, oh, I released a new video, but it was only ranked seventh out of the last 10. So there's a lot of information on your YouTube dashboard. And my advice with this stuff for creators, especially starting out, is don't worry so much about it. Even it's even for myself, like I got to a point where I was I was in the analytics and I was spending more time looking at my numbers and working out what I was doing right, wrong, and otherwise than actually creating content. So you can go overboard with that, but the YouTube Studio does give you a way to actually jump in there and actually see what's going on. So it is good, but it's like anything. It, it can be good as long as you use it correctly. As soon as you overuse analytics and you get too much into the weeds and the numbers it can be a bad thing. But YouTube Studio is good. It is also available now on your iPhone or your iPad or your Android device. So there is a separate app. The other tip that I'll give you is that there's a YouTube. So if you've got your, your iPhone or your iPad, if you're watching the video version I'm showing you here, there is both the YouTube app, but there's also a different one called YT Studio. And this allows you to manage your YouTube videos, to answer comments, to look at those analytics and to do all the things behind the scenes that you need to do when you're running a YouTube channel. Or, and remember, when I say running a YouTube channel, it could be just you sharing your music videos on YouTube, you sharing some behind the scenes, some concert footage. It doesn't really matter. And the way I like to use YouTube is more is more. <laughs> like, especially when you're starting out, I know people are worried that they're like, oh, well, I don't have the quality yet. I don't have the lighting. I don't have the camera. Yeah, but you're not going to learn until you try, until you start. It's no point waiting until you have a perfect setup, a perfect camera, perfect audio, and then you've got no idea how to present information. Learn how to do the content side, learn how to present the information, learn how to share the video, learn the insides and outs of the actual platform. And then when you've got the quality content, you can start sharing that. And you'll have picked up some people on the way who don't really care that your, your microphone's not perfect and your camera's not perfect. They like you and they like what you got to say. So get started. The best time to start YouTube was 10 years ago. The second best time to start YouTube is right now. Get into it. Start it. Do it. It's free. Why, why wouldn't you? And, and for, those of, for those of you from the past, from the long time, from the before time, from the long, long ago, you'll remember how much it used to cost to host web content and video. Forget about it. I think the first website I had on like GeoCities, you got 10 megabytes for free. And one real video file was probably eight megabytes for like two minutes. And then if you wanted to host more than that, you'd have to pay for it. And then you'd pay based on how many people actually streamed it because bandwidth was expensive. So if you had a popular, the early days of viral videos, I know we're going back into the sort of the past section here, but the early days of viral videos were like really expensive. If you've got a video that suddenly got 100,000 views, your internet bill would be $1,000 because you had to pay for it. So uh, whenever I hear people complaining about YouTube, I just think about those days and I'm like, man, yeah, you just, you don't know. You don't know, do you? <coughs> Excuse me, frog in my throat today. Always great for a podcast recording. All right, uh, so that's your, your YouTube studio. Now something, this is in no particular order by the way, but something that I get asked about a lot is copyright and content ID. So YouTube had a problem when they first started. So when we're talking about yeah, 2005 through to 2009, they started running ads. People started uploading things that weren't there content. They didn't own the copyright to. They didn't own the, the actual video. So 
people started coming at them. NBC Universal and Fox and all the, and Sony and all these different companies were saying, you can't take my music video from my artist and stick it on YouTube and especially monetize it and then give me nothing. So YouTube were like, ah, dear, what do we do about this? So they developed a system. It's actually a very clever system, but it's actually hated by more people than love it. But I think the people that dislike it probably don't really understand how bad it could be if it didn't exist. It's called Content ID. What Content ID does is when you upload a video, it scans every other video. And every video has what they call a digital footprint or a digital signature. And it compares your video with all the other videos it has. And if it finds a match, it will flag that and it will put in a claim. It will say, here's a YouTube content claim. So if I upload a Katy Perry music video, it will go through its catalog and go, actually, we have this. And it will check both video and audio. It's super clever. Video and audio. And it'll say, yes, this video is owned by this publishing company. This audio is owned by this publishing company. And you've got a copyright claim. Now, at best, a copyright claim is just going to mean that your video may not be able to be monetized. So if you are part of that YouTube partner program I talked about before, any money that is made through advertising on that video will actually go to the original content creator and not to you. At worst though, if you're actually using large chunks of copyrighted content and the creator has set it to be this way, you may get a copyright strike or it may get blocked for view. And that's obviously a little bit more serious because if you get strikes, just like in baseball, three strikes and you're out, they will delete your channel. So it's serious sort of stuff. Now, as a content creator, you're hopefully not using an entire Katy Perry song, but what you may be doing is doing cover songs. So cover songs work in a similar but different way. It will actually flag it, but it will say, hey, this sounds like this song. We can pick up the melody, but it's not actually the exact same. So we think it's a cover song. You're still going to get a content claim, but you get to share the revenue. Then there's revenue sharing between the artist who's doing the cover song and the original artist. That's why there's these huge YouTube channels that can exist doing covers because they automatically will generate revenue sharing. And again, if you think about the alternative, what you would have to do otherwise in the early days is actually go to that artist. If you wanted to cover a song, you want to cover a Nevada song, you have to go to the estate of Kurt Cobain and say, can I please cover Smells Like Teen Spirit? And they say, no, you're a lowly YouTuber scum. Get off my lawn. And then you can't do it. And if you do do it, it gets taken down immediately with the uh, DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So YouTube basically tried to skirt around that by creating Content ID. And, and that's what we have to this very day. The challenge for a creator though is that, and here's what we're seeing more and more these days on YouTube, is that if you're using say free samples or loops or using garage band sounds, what some people are doing is they're putting Content ID on those. Now the distributors and the companies adding Content ID have kind of, clued into this and they now say if you're using any even free samples if you're using them you cannot add content id why well because if you add it and then someone else uses it the free content that or maybe they've paid splice for samples or whatever then they're going to get a claim to the other person they don't own the sample either but they're using it in their song so, and you can see what can happen here. If everyone that then used the Afro Funk uh, 101 Garage Band loop in their song, every single person will get a copyright claim and they want to try and avoid that. Hasn't been completely avoided, but it's still there. And there's a whole bunch more information here, by the way, on the channel about content ID and copyright. Because I could talk all day. My personal view, as a creator, I don't use it. it 
usually creates more hassle than it's worth, and I actually w- would like someone. If someone wants to remix my song, if someone wants to cover my song, if someone wants to tear apart my song and recreate it and turn it into a K-pop jam, I'm all for that. But your mileage may vary. So content ID is a thing. Uh, shorts. Let's talk about shorts. So short video content has become super popular off the back of things like Vine. If you don't remember Vine, that was like a little eight second video clips. They shut down Vine. All the Viners came over to YouTube and then they're like, oh, what are all these grandpas here creating these long five minute videos? We want to create short videos. So they started creating short videos. There was also a little app called Musical.ly, music.ly. You might know it by its new name called TikTok having some challenges at the moment, especially in the US of A, but that came out of uh, Musical.ly, which was like a a karaoke sing-along kind of dance-along app. That's why a lot of the TikTok stuff originally was people lip-syncing and dancing to stuff because it came out of Musical.ly. It just changed to TikTok and expanded. So short-form content has kind of taken over the world. I know for those that are parents, have children. I've got an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. They almost exclusively only watch videos less than one minute now. Attention spans, you could, you could go on a big rant about it. But from a logistical point of view, what are shorts and how do you use them in YouTube? Well, shorts started off as a bit of an experimental thing. It was only sort of added to some people very slowly over time. Now everyone can upload a short. You can either do it from your mobile device or you can upload content on your your Mac or your PC as well. It has to be 60 seconds or less and it is preferable that it is portrait mode. can be a square video as well, but portrait mode is kind of where it's at. And it's so that people can sit there and doom scroll all day through multiple 30 to 60 second videos on their phone. No, it's, it's it's to share quick content. And look, you can. I have my own opinions on short form content. I didn't love it to begin with, but I'm actually really enjoying it now for how-to content and for promotional videos. So if you're a band, if you're an artist, if you're a creator, I think a short form video is actually pretty good because if you've got a new song coming out, how about a short video of you sharing like a 30-second snippet of saying, hey, my new song's dropping on this day. Here's a taste of it. Or you're working on a new music video and you can show a little clip of your new music video. Or you're performing. You're out busking and you're performing or you've got an open mic night and you're like behind the scenes and you're like, I'm pretty nervous. I'm about to go up on that stage and play. Or, or you can get someone in the, the audience to take a little clip of you playing. So there's a lot of ways you can use short-form content to help promote. And I think at this point in time, there there is monetization for shorts. It only started in February 2023. Prior to that, shorts had very little monetization. There was the shorts fund that only very high-end creators got, but there wasn't a whole lot of money in shorts, uh, whereas now there is. And that's the other reason that you notice that is places like TikTok, the reason that there's so many brand deals and so many people are promoting other things outside of TikTok. They're like, hey, here's my TikTok. Now go buy my energy drink. Hey, here's my TikTok. Now uh, makeup companies paid me to show you how to do smoky eye with this particular. My children hate it when I do that, by the way. Every time I try to think of a, a way to kind of diss on it, I'm just like, oh, is it a makeup tutorial about smoky eye? And they're like, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you're right. So shorts, definitely worth taking a look at if you want to uh, expand out your video sharing on YouTube. Let's talk live streaming, shall we? So live streaming actually started a long time ago. Live streaming actually kicked off in 2011, would you believe? 12 years ago from where we are here now. But it has changed over time. So original live streams were were only short. Uh, you probably don't remember this, but YouTube, you used to be able to be able to share a maximum of 20 minutes. Originally, it was 10 minutes. And then it went to 20 minutes, and now it's kind of unlimited. So live streaming has kind of taken off. And again, because of the bandwidth that we had back then, 
it wasn't very good quality. It was only streaming at 480p, which is like the, the quality of your old CRT television, that sort of quality. And the sound was never that good because it was super hyper compressed kind of 8-bit sound. Nothing sounded good. Nothing looked good. But there was a glimmer of hope there because the beauty of live streaming, there's a couple of good things about it. And the reason I do a lot of it and that I love it are kind of twofold. It gives you instant reactions so you can talk directly to the viewer rather than having to put something out there and then the viewer consumes it and then they come back to you and it bounces back and forth so it's that real-time interaction is great the other thing is no editing i'm a big fan of the no editing the reason that i do this podcast live on youtube is that at the end of the show i just pull it and grab the audio and that's my podcast and it's as simple as that whereas if i sat down you know what it's like you're a perfection have you ever tried to make a video and you're like oh take one Oop, take two. Oop, take three. You know what there isn't in live? Take two. <laughs> Very rarely. Very occasionally I'll be like, oh no, I have a giant coughing fit, so I have to do a take two. But very rarely do you have to when you're doing live streaming. So there's a few benefits of that. And it can help you, it can help attract other people because people like it. People like the live stream. People like being acknowledged. People like being able to have a conversation and it helps you build a community around your content and a community around your music as well. So again, if you're a music creator, you can live stream. Now, the biggest tip I give folks about live streaming because it does sound daunting, doesn't it? It does sound daunting. You're like, oh my God, I put a camera in front of me and I have to talk to it. What do I say? Don't start by doing a one hour live stream or a half an hour live stream. Start with a 10 minute live stream about a topic you know. I'm doing a live stream about YouTube. It's a topic that I know. I'm comfortable talking about it. It's easy for me to do, but I've been doing this for about four or five years now. So it, it, it comes quite naturally. If it doesn't come naturally, start small. And here's the biggest tip. What people don't think about. You can live stream to yourself. So your first live stream should be 100% private. The way you do that is when you start your live streaming in YouTube, and again, the, the scope of this isn't to give you all the details of how to live stream, but you can use your phone, you can use your tablet, you can use your PC, your Mac. There's a lot of ways you can live stream. The very first time you do it, just set it to private. It's as simple as that. There's three different formats in YouTube. There's private, unlisted, and public. Private or unlisted means it doesn't go out to anyone. You're the only one that can see it. And if you want to then share it with maybe one or two people to get some feedback, make it unlisted and share it with them. I mean, if they then share it to the world, it gets shared to the world. But yeah, you don't have to share with people. When you're first starting out, just do it like this. Talk to the camera like I am right now, but you don't have to have anyone at the other end. It'll help you get your confidence up. Another concept I wanted to talk about with YouTube, and this this comes up a lot. And I talked, I talked earlier about the, the, the complaining because there's been a lot of things that have happened. There's been adpocalypse. There's been the copper, the Child Online Protection Act. YouTube is about every three years like to have a giant hissy fit about something outside of their control that YouTube is doing. And usually the things YouTube are doing are based on things like copyright or content ID or government regulation or something that they have to do or advertisers because, again, YouTube are funded by advertisers. And the thing that I like to say about YouTube is you are building your business on borrowed land. Your landlord is the Alphabet Corporation who own Google, who own YouTube. Now, the nice, what's a nice way to put this? They simply don't care about you. And that's okay because they don't have to. And yeah, you have to, you have to abide by all of the rules that they lay down. The alternative is that you do your own hosting that costs a fortune. The other alternative is you go and you use another platform. 
that I would recommend. Because again, all your eggs, one basket, good idea, bad idea, usually bad idea. So by branching out and trying things like Twitch, trying Facebook streaming, trying TikTok, trying Instagram and Instagram reels, these are things you should be doing anyway. Because, and why put all of your eggs in one corporate basket that can just come and stomp on them and smash them and make a giant omelette? Metaphor is getting weird now. When you can actually spread that stuff around. So the thing I'll say about this is if you build your business, so if I just, if all I did was YouTube, if I was a YouTuber, the reason I call myself a music educator and not a YouTuber is that I don't want to tie myself to this platform because as we'll talk about in a moment, the future of YouTube could be that in five years, it's not there anymore. They may take a complete pivot. Look at Facebook, look at MySpace, look at Vine. They've all changed. They've all pivoted. They've all completely, they've either gone away or they've completely changed direction. So if you're building your house on borrowed land, just remember the landlord can change the rent. They can cut off your lease. They can kick you out at any time for things that you may not think are fair. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. And again, in a capitalist society, it's what we have to accept. And the alternative is you either don't do it or you pay full tote odds <laughs> to create your own YouTube, uh, which is probably not possible. Some other quick fire things that we have here on the present YouTube. What are some of the cool things we have? We have things like the community tab. Now, I don't use the community. I don't use the community tab a whole lot, but it is kind of fun. It is a way for me to share content and share information with the community. And for those watching the video version, I'm uh, showing you the wrong screen, but now I'm showing you what that looks like. So you're seeing here a little promo, a little promo for this very show. So I can actually share a link. I can share photos. I can share text. I can do polls on there, which are often a lot of fun. There's a lot of things you can do with the community tab. Now, again, you kind of need to be at the level where you're part of the YouTube partner program to get access to the community tab. So about a thousand subscribers is usually the cutoff. I think it changes over time. So I think sometimes it's less than that. I think gaming channels get it for less than that. It's nothing to write home about. But the advice I give you with all the stuff on YouTube, if you're a, if you're a creator, and you want to share stuff on YouTube, use all of the tools that they have there. Do some shorts, do some live, do some short form, do some community stuff, add stories, which is a good segue, because the other thing that you have is stories. Now, I can't show you this on the, the desktop here, because it's actually only on iOS, well, iOS, it's only on mobile. Look how biased I am, I say iOS, it's only on mobile. But there are YouTube stories that will pop up in your feed as well. And you can share a YouTube story by hitting the little plus button and hitting add to your story. Now, I could I could go into a big side conversation about the fact that YouTube are just copying everyone else. So they're grabbing stories because stories were really popular on Snapchat, which Instagram took, which now YouTube have taken. So what, what are stories? Well, they're a little 15 second video clip, or they can be a still image with just some text on them. And it's, a, a, it's disposable content. So what, what I use my stories for um, is that I will, I'll, in fact, I'll create a story right now. So what I'm going to do this is getting a little bit inside baseball, but <laughs> there I am. There, so I'm going to point my camera at the screen now, and I'm going to record a story to put on YouTube. So I'm going to say, I'm recording my live podcast right now, creating a story and showing folks how stories works on YouTube. How meta is that? And then I release the button. 
and I hit post. And it's as simple as that. So I'm not going to go in and edit. I'm not going to add a bunch of stuff. But stories are just a good way to share a little bit of content. Maybe you're at a gig and you're like, man, they might be giants that are going sick tonight. Or you might be behind the stage, behind the scenes saying, here's how I set up my camera. Or you might just be saying, hi, mom, happy birthday. I don't know. You could use stories though. Uh, that's another option you have there. Let's have a quick drink. Another option that you have for, again, for monetization, you might be thinking, monetization seems hard because you have to run ads and you have to make sure. Well, there's another option and it's called memberships. So channel memberships were added uh, about two years ago and a lot of folks uh, in, in the community around here use them and I don't particularly use them because I have Patreon and Patreon is very similar to a YouTube channel membership. So what can you do with a YouTube channel membership where well, you get things like custom emojis that folks that are members can use. They'll pop up as a green on your YouTube as, as a channel member and uh, they get access to things like uh, special videos or live streams that you may do just for channel members. So you can basically create a tiered system where folks that want to support you, want to contribute to the channel, you can have a channel membership for that. Now, I haven't checked the latest in terms of what someone in the chat may know what the latest requirements are to set up a channel membership. I think it's probably around the same stuff, around that thousand subscribers. And to be honest, until you've got about a thousand subscribers, I wouldn't go down the channel membership route because if you've got you know, 10 subscribers, uh, what are you going to get one or two members? Not that that would be a bad thing, but yeah, I, I would build yourself up. Make sure you've got a community around you and then you can try things like channel memberships. Uh, one other thing that I just put on here it, that I thought was interesting that folks may not know. It's, I should have done a separate section. It's like YouTube stuff you might not have known, but the dislikes. So dislikes went away. So you might be looking at this going, I can still dislike your video, John's. In fact, I'm going to right now. Click. Well, you can, but guess what? It doesn't show the number of those to a viewer. And even though as a creator, I can go in and see the number of dislikes, it's not super obvious and apparent. So I need to go into the back end. I, I can't see it just as much as folks watching can't see it. So it is hard. And that was added for what YouTube said at the time was for mental health so that creators weren't feeling bad when we got dislikes. But that's kind of a silly response because creators are the only ones who can still actually see the number of dislikes. So if it was for mental health of creators, that really make a lot of sense, just quietly, really quietly. Uh, now, the, the funny thing about the likes and the dislike system is that YouTube videos used to have a five-star rating system. And it was really more designed, like, yes, you would see the overall rating, but it was more designed for you to curate the content around what you liked and what you didn't like. So similar, remember the old, um, what was that called? Fet Not Fetch, that's what we have here in Australia. I'm spacing on the name, uh, not Netflix before that. Oh, uh, uh, TiVo, thank you, brain. Well done, kicked into gear, took a while. So TiVo, you used to rate things and you used to say, oh, five stars, I like that, oh, one star, never, never play that again. That was the same sort of thing with YouTube and it was curating the content. And then I think people got carried away because they thought they, they reinterpreted that as you saying whether you like or dislike that creator. But it's really got nothing to do with that. It's really just a rating system. So you can say, yeah, like that. Yeah, don't like that. So uh, people w were aiming for like five-star ratings. And uh, yeah, they changed it to the, the thumbs up, thumbs down. And now they've changed it to pretty much just thumbs up, which is a, a little bit different. 
So that's that's the current, that's the present of YouTube, and there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of you, lot to absorb there. So uh, once again, if you do if you do have questions and you're here live, you can ask them. If you do want to reach out, you can throw me a question, Pete at studiolivetoday.com, or just go to studiolivetoday.com, and uh, you've got all the ways you can get in touch with me and follow the channel over there. What is the future of YouTube? And I love your feedback and your input into this as well. What is the future of YouTube? So, uh, YouTube have just added. So, the absolute newest feature, YouTube have just added podcasts. So, it's, yeah, you, you could say that YouTube kind of jump into the most popular thing at the time. And you could argue whether podcasts are popular or not popular, but when I see what a, a certain certain creator that I don't listen to, but I know many do, got paid by Spotify just a year ago for exclusivity on that platform for podcasting, then yeah. And if you see that places like Audible are adding podcasts now, and now YouTube has added podcasts, yeah, the audio-only format is definitely going to be something that I see in the future. I see more short-form content. I see short-form content taking off. It's the writing's on the wall there. They added monetization to YouTube Shorts in February, and they are really pushing it. If you go to your YouTube now, yeah, you'll get maybe one or two or three videos, depending on the, the layout, and then the very next thing is Shorts. They are heavily pushing Shorts. Even if you don't watch a lot of them, they would love you to watch a lot of them because they're quick, short-form content, and they keep you on the platform for an extended period of time time. Um, and uh, I think there's actually going to be more community around YouTube. And I, I'm hoping for this, but with the things like the channel membership, uh, they've got the, they've now obviously got super chats that you can do on a live show. They've got super thanks now. So you can actually pay a creator that's making a, a video. And I'm pretty sure that what's coming next is some sort of short form. So if you've been on Twitch, you know, they have bits there that you can support people by giving them bits. Um, TikTok, you can actually buy, I don't even know what they're called because I've never done it. My daughter asked me, can I buy some of these things the other day? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, you can use TikTok, but even that's heavily supervised. And I'm like, no. Um, I, I, one thing I won't do. Look, I'm not. I'm not in the. I'm not in the group that are uh, xenophobically challenging the fact that just because someone is uh, outside of a particular country that they're all evil and bad and are stealing all your stuff. But financial information, TikTok, I've decided. The survey says no. Um, so, but I think that there's going to be more ways for direct funding because again youtube will take a cut of this every time you give a donation to me hate to break it to you but uh, youtube take 30 percent of that so if you give me ten dollars youtube grab three and they send seven my way so that will continue to happen and i think that is the way that we're going to see funding in the future because advertisers they have a plethora of places to go and the amount of advertising on youtube has decreased has started coming back down it peaked just around the uh, the C word about three years ago, and then it kind of stayed up, and then we're starting to see it fall away because of some of the uh, the financial situations in the world, because of the plethora of platforms and the ways, as well as some of the controversies. We didn't cover YouTube controversies here because it's not really relevant for you as a creator. But yes, there's been some controversies. There's been some Paul brothers doing stupid things, but I always blame them, but there's a lot of things that have been going on. There's the whole prank channel thing where people got uh, taken to court and arrested for abusing their family. There's been a lot of horrible things on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see more direct support between creator and viewer. So if I was to look at that triangle that I talked about at the start to bring us all the way back around to the start, then what I would actually say is that the advertisers that were propping up for the last 10 years, as they fall away, 
What I think is going to need to happen for creators to survive is that the viewers are going to come to the party. And I'm not saying that just to say, please donate to my channel, although I would never say no. But I am saying that I think that there's going to be a lot more direct interaction between creators. And if you want proof of that, just look at the Patreon revolution of the last 10 years. A lot of people want, instead of going out there and just watching a lot of content and paying for it through their eyeballs and through advertising, a lot of people are going direct to creators and saying, how do I contribute? How do I become part of the team? And, and the way we talk about it with, with some of my patrons is you're like a shareholder, right? You, you, you're investing in the business. You're investing in the success of a creator. And that can work for musicians, that can work for artists, that can work for content creators, it can work for anyone. So that is, uh, that is where we're at and that is where I think we're going to for the future. Um, we have one question, that, uh, so we're going to have some Q&A here. We have one question here, it came from Rena. Uh, when you post your music video on YouTube, can you keep it from being downloaded and viewed? Is there a setting for that? <sighs> the short answer to this, and we, we touched on a little bit with copyright on YouTube. I, I'm, one, I'm someone who just lets people go open slather. But let's just say you had a video, and as, as Rena's asking the question here, you did not want anyone else to download it, to copy it. YouTube protects you and it stops people from doing that by default. But the challenge there is that anyone with a screen recorder can download it. Anyone with a third-party app can download it. There's really no way to protect. As soon as you can visually, even back in the old days, there was what they called the analog hole, which is that even digital copyright on DVDs and things, if you could get an analog signal out of that thing, you can record it. It's the same with all the stuff you have. Don't tell Apple, but all of the uh, restrictions they have stopping you from recording things, recording audio from Apple Music and all that sort of thing. As soon as you plug in an analog connection and plug it into another device and record it, you can do it. The question I would ask is why you would want to do it. So what, why are you restricting that? I think a lot of creators spend what I would say, and this isn't a criticism, but too much time worrying about the fact that they're going to make this amazing song, someone's going to steal it, they're going to make a million dollars from it, and you're going to be left on the street. And the, not to say that doesn't happen, but it's so rare. It's like I'm not going to cross the road because there's a 0.01% chance that a truck's going to come and run me over. So saying I'm not going to share a video on YouTube because someone may screen record it and then reshare it. Plus, the other thing is, YouTube actually have tools in place. So I didn't talk into the details of this, but in the YouTube studio, you can actually go in there and you can see when people have had, when there's duplicated content. So I do it from time to time. It's quite funny. There's people that will download an entire tutorial video and then they'll just re-upload it on their channel. And unless they're getting more than a handful of views, I don't care. I don't worry about it. Sometimes I just send them a takedown to scare them just because I'm like, hey, that's a bit of fun. But more often than not, I just leave it because it really doesn't matter. And it's usually got my branding on there as well, so it's fine. It's all good. Uh, right, that is going to uh, do it for this particular podcast. So I just want to let you know what's happening around Studio Live today, this weekend. If you're listening around about the time this is released, or you're watching here live, or you're watching the video here, we are in the end of March 2023. This week on the show, we have a happy hour. It's going to be my originals, so we're going to play some original Pete Johns content on the happy hour. We've got Your Music Live. We've got some amazing independent artists on Your Music Live. And GarageBand Weekly is going to be a Q&A. Yeah, all questions and answers all about GarageBand. We're going to be doing some tests of some things I've shown before because a lot of people seem to be struggling with one thing in particular, and that's getting your drummer and converting it to MIDI drums. So that's one of the questions as, long as, as well as a bunch 
of others we're going to be answering on Garage Band Weekly. If you want to stay in touch with everything we're doing here, studiolivetoday.com is the place to go. There you can subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast on the audio version, leave a rating. Five stars would be lovely because they still use the one, two, three, four, five rating there. It's not a like, dislike system. And if you want to get even more access and you want to support us, Patreon is the way to go. Studiolivetoday.com slash Patreon. As we say at the end of everything we do around here, please be kind to yourself, be kind to others, keep creating, and I'll see you next time on the Studio Live Today podcast.